Hello, and welcome back to another episode of After School with Dylan Mack. Today, we are with Sabir Lal, a Deputy Director of the Middle Eastern and Central Asian Department at the International Monetary Fund. He specializes in macroeconomic and financial market analysis and policy, economic forecasting, economics of technology, foreign exchange, and fixed income markets. In this episode, we interview Subir to ask him on his journey into economics, the methods he uses to keep up with the trends, his mindset when he makes mistakes, and everything in between. Uh, hello, Shabir, and welcome onto the podcast today. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Dylan. I just want you to give the audience, you know, your name, who you are, what you do, and like whatever else you think is important right off the jump before we dive in. Okay, um, great. Thank you again. Uh, happy to be here. Uh, with you and your audience. So my name is Subir Lal. I'm, uh, I'm an economist by training. I have a PhD in economics from Brown University. And I work at the International Monetary Fund. So I'm uh, what you might call an applied economist. I use my economics skills to analyze uh, with, with colleagues uh, developments in countries, what's going on there what the prospects look like, and we try to give countries policy advice, in some cases also financial assistance. So you might say I'm a practicing economist as opposed to, um, say, um, an academic economist uh, teaching at a university. Uh, and, of course, uh, we are an international financial institution. We are owned by our member countries, so I'm not in the private sector. Mm. Well. I have this signature question, uh, Shabir, that I love to ask. Yeah. So um, let's, we're going to go way back. Imagine you're my age, 17, you know, 18, 16. You're in high school. You just got, it's a, tu- I don't like to say Tuesday night, right? It's not the weekend. It's, it's a random day, Tuesday, and you're, you just got out of school. What are you doing? Are you a big sports guy? Are you going to go play some sports, socialize with some friends? Are you studious and you're going to go home and just finish the homework? Or are you like procrastinator? You'll go home, you'll sleep, and you'll do it later. You know, what, what's, the, what's, the, yeah, what's the childhood hobbies and, you know, childhood severe look like? Well, I was uh, fortunate in a way that, uh, of course, I mean, I was studious and I worked hard. Uh, I tried to make sure my, my grades were good and I really enjoyed what I was studying. But I, I was fortunate because I was with a group of friends, um, you know, boys and girls in my class who were really uh, curious about the world around them because we all sort of collectively realized, and maybe it came from more senior uh, schoolmates and friends of ours or, or even our siblings, that there is a world much bigger than our school or our class or what we do there or even the sports we play together. And we did a lot of that as well. And so uh, it made us very curious about the world around us. And we all used to go out there and we developed other interests as well, and which were 
in a way connected with our community. So, for instance, um, uh, some people uh, spend some time, I mean, not necessarily on a Tuesday, but one of the weekdays <laughs> at, 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 say, uh, uh, a homeless shelter mm. or a soup kitchen. Uh, and uh, I myself was actually quite interested in this issue of of the homeless. And so I tried to, I was with, not by myself, but me and a couple of my classmates, we used to spend time uh, once a week or sometimes twice a week in one of those, with one of the local NGOs that was active in dealing with um, homelessness and helping the homeless at least provide some basic facilities. And I think um, that was actually uh, quite uh, formative for us and certainly for me because it made me aware of that there's a whole big world outside of our normal lived experience in terms of you know home and living in a very safe and protected environment going to school you know hanging out with your friends and studying but there are a lot of people who who have very different trajectories and to be able to understand them to understand we live part of the same society and and also it makes you appreciate a little bit more how fortunate some of us have been just by being born in the say the right family or, or the right city or the right country and things like that. So um, so that's uh, one of the things. I mean, of course, we did other things too. We 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 played sports. We did other things. The normal kid stuff. The, yeah, I was active in the debating society. Exactly. And academics are, of course, important. We always knew that to get to a good college, you have to have good grades and study well. But, you know, um, this other activity was the one that made me much more socially conscious and aware. And I think that stayed with me and also had a role to play in why I became an economist. I, I'm curious about um, if before all of this, like, let's say before all of, um, you know, this realization, if an adult went up to you and was like, what do you want to be when you're older? What would you have said at the time? Would you have still said something? Like, did you even know that, like, this kind of, you know, economics job even existed? Or do you want to be like, you know, for me, it was like a firefighter, right? Or whatever, you know? Yeah, I know. I actually had had no idea. I didn't really know that economics was a thing, mm -hmm. you know, Um and uh, in fact, uh, what I really uh, wanted to to be, and it, it might sound a little funny because now, um, you know, there is in TV, there was a comedy show where one of the characters uh, was pretending to be one of those. I did want to be an architect, you know. Wow. <laughs> so, because, you know, I looked around, I looked at these really, you know, some beautiful buildings, some not so beautiful buildings. And I thought, you know, what? <laughs> it would be really nice to be able to create something like that. And why, you know, imagine if the whole city had buildings like that. And I would sit at home and I would sketch not just big buildings, but even houses and things and design. And I was really into that stuff because I, I thought there was something nice and, you know, there was something aesthetic about it. And, you know, it just, you know, it's like art, you know, it gives you a sense of joy when you see a beautiful house or a beautiful office building or a beautiful, even, you know, a shopping mall. And, you know, that seems simple because, you know, of course, we'd heard about architects and things. Economists is not something you normally hear a lot about, at least not till later in life. 
definitely not a job that gets the middle schoolers attention exactly you know exactly is that like even a thing it's like saying you know <laughs> an accountant you know people don't know about it but you know it's a it's a great profession yeah. would you say that some aspects that you're interested in in like architecture translate over to like an economist i don't i, I don't really know much about both right but like maybe like <laughs> conducting research you know is that something that translated over or like your love for whatever or do you think they were t- totally sun and moon well um that's a good question i think the common thread in that is the, the curiosity i had with architecture was like for instance how come some buildings are you know beautiful and tall and seem very nicely laid out and others are just you know normal no imagination <laughs> nothing going on there um and why is it different and that translates into economics as well why is it that some countries are richer than others some countries are poorer why is it some families are richer and poorer so you see this idea of differences you see that in architecture among buildings and economics you see that uh, between human beings between societies even so that that's one of the common things is that both sort of piqued my intellectual curiosity. It wasn't just about how things look, but it was like, what lies behind this? You know, how, how is this? How does this happen? So it seems like you were driven by curiosity versus like some people I've had on the show, they just wanted money, you know, and they take a, a, a very big money making job. Not saying obviously <laughs> either, you know, or whatever, but. Yeah, no. Uh, so it was natural. It, was, it wasn't forced on you, think, by your parents or friends or whatever. It was like the, the economist. And, and, and to be honest, Dylan, it's probably related also to, to just to education, right? Because part of education in high school, well, you become curious about, you learn new fields, new topics, new tools. And then, you know, and if you have that curiosity, it translates suddenly into the real world. If you're out in the real world enough, you start thinking, okay, you know, I learned some new things in school. You know, at some point you learn maybe calculus or you learn different aspects of biology or something, you know. And then that suddenly translates into the real world. You say, hmm, okay, there is a, like pretty cool stuff out there I know very little about, but I really want to know more about that stuff. So that's that's how I see the link. Yeah, it's not that somebody specifically told me this is a great profession to do or, you know, that the objective in life should be to, you know, make as much money as possible or something. That was never the main yeah. motivator. Yeah. Um, I have a question though as well. Um, when you were a kid, would you would you call would you have called yourself like an extroverted or social kid, or were you do you think you're more introverted? You know, it's it's. Uh, I've been through different phases. I think looking back now. It wasn't always the same. And depending on the environment, I would be more of an extrovert or an introvert. But but innately, I'm probably more of an introverted person in the sense I like smaller groups. I like to be able to talk to people, interact with people. Like for my idea of a great dinner party is like maybe five or six people. Not yeah, like Same here. Same here. I don't need like them. Party with 100 people because... You know, in some sense, it's a little exhausting. Plus, also, you can't make enough of, uh, you know, you can yeah. connect with people. Well, um, well, I was saying food, but yeah, people too. Yeah, <laughs> people too. But I do know that there were some 
periods in life when you know you you somehow get together with an extraordinary group of people even in 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 my job for instance in in a particular assignment yeah so I was, I was gonna ask about actually the interpersonal skills yeah and, and how like and how um yeah you're just getting into that naturally sorry to interrupt you but um a lot of kids I know in my grade as well, my school, outside on social media, a lot of people, you know, you like to stay behind the screen, honestly. You're, you're not right, as social, right? right, right. right? Yeah. Obviously, you can tell I'm pretty extroverted, but other people aren't. And some people feel like there's no way I could be even an economist who has to communicate, you know, the research or, you know, has to, has to interact effectively. But it seems like you said here, you were somewhat more leaning towards introvert. So how yeah. did you make the skills or bring the skills or develop the skills to be able to, you know, communicate effectively and talk yeah. to Yeah, so, I mean, I think, it, and it's not just true for, for economists, I think it's true almost in any profession, that if you're able to connect with people, you can be much more effective um, in anything you do. And in fact, I mean, it's one of the basic... Um, I think necessities of the human condition, the need to connect. We are social beings. We don't live in isolation. I mean, it's very comforting if you're around, you're surrounded by all screens and everything. I'm, of course, a little bit older than you, so we didn't grow up with screens and uh, cell phones world, and the yeah. like, you know. I mean, of course, we had television, but we didn't have the internet and things uh, when I was 17. Um, but what I realize is that, uh, I mean, over time that success and by success i don't mean necessarily you know promotions big job big office more money but success in actually feeling fulfilled in whatever job you do often requires that you're able to connect with people in an effective way so for me very specifically as an economist a big part of what gives me satisfaction is if i'm able to say Think of an economic puzzle. I see something happening in, say, in a country or a city, and I'm thinking, okay, why does this happen? I'm able to figure out using my training and my experience and able to recommend some policy tool or some policy adjustment that might be able to make things better. But it's no good, you know, if I say, oh, wow, that was very clever of me. I came up with a nice model or I did <laughs> simulations, whatever, but I cannot convince the person who can actually make that change happen. Yeah. And often the people who have the power and the position to make that change happen are not economists. So you have to be able to communicate with them and feel at ease communicating with them. Can't be like nervous uh, or whatever. Yeah, and you know, not, you know, I mean, being, and, and, and it's okay to, I mean, just because one is generally introverted does not mean that one has to be reclusive, right? One can still make that connection. And in oh, fact, boy. What I learned was that um, what it means for me, and I think everybody's experience might be different, I'm much more at ease perhaps in, in smaller groups and more sort of intimate settings, like if I'm meeting people across the table rather than in a huge conference hall, you know? Mm -hmm. So then, so if I can shape the setting saying, okay, here is a policymaker, I want to talk to them, I can sit with them and maybe a few other colleagues and talk about things in a very informal way, then I can actually be really effective. Uh, and uh, and so, you know, you can even, regardless of whether you are or not very, you know, introverted or extroverted, you can create 
the environments where you can still be the most effective. But it is absolutely necessary in anything you do, I find, to be able to connect with um, others. And in my job, because we are an international organization and we work in 190 countries, it means people from different backgrounds, you know, different, it's a, a very diverse people, with very different, you know, languages even, and uh, different trainings. And to be able to, it's, it's actually quite wonderful if one is able to do that, because there's a whole great world out there and there's much to learn. From being uh, yeah. able to and I bet everyone else also feels the same like feelings of like I need to be able to communicate, etc. So you just gotta work with people. I feel maybe and just you know uh, absolutely. And you know, it's not something that's like a switch goes off one day and suddenly you become this great communicator. <laughs> so skill, you know, developed and acquired over yeah. time. You know, if you and I were having this conversation, maybe when I was very early in my career, it would have been more more different. You know, yeah. because you know, some of it is that you become more comfortable in in communicating for different audiences. And so now I know... Experience, you, just experience. Experience, yeah. like you told me that your audience is largely um, maybe some of your peers even or high yeah. school kids. So obviously when I'm trying to communicate here, I wouldn't become very sort of technical jargon about economic <laughs> stuff because then... But that's something you learn over time that, okay, yeah. you know what, that may have been great. Like stuff, you're reading the room right now, basically. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, you cannot connect. Yeah. And the virtual room. To, and you have to develop accessibility. People need to see that you're open and you're also listening because a lot of speaking is listening, you know, that's why. Yeah. And I was actually, this is a great segue into, so I feel like with, and I say this to everyone, with every job, there's like a, there's like a, there's an image, like a public image, and people are like, I need this, this, and this to do this job well, right? But to be an economist or something just in finance, money, what skills did you, like, were, like, you had to develop quickly because, like, you didn't, re like, you didn't realize that you needed them, if that makes sense. Like, like you, you, you jumped into this career, and you're like, wow, I needed this skill. I, like, what are some unforeseen skills an economist might need that, like, kids like I wouldn't know, you know, without obviously your experience. So two, two things come to mind. One is at least as an economist, uh, you know, yeah, hard uh, question. Sorry. It's a loaded no, question. No, it's, it's a really good question to know, especially from your perspective. I think it's, it's a, it's, it's a question you should actually ask pretty much everybody, which is one is, you know, for economics on a, on a very sort of, uh, you know, practical level, I found that having a strong math background was quite useful, very useful, because those are the tools we use uh, to communicate or uh, understand economics, put things into models. And I was fortunate to have a reasonably strong math background. So for me, I mean, you know, things can always be better, but I, I was, I felt I came easier. Yeah, I had the basic tools. Uh, in place so that when when because the jump from undergraduate to graduate school in economics is pretty steep because there's a lot of stuff coming at you suddenly you know and it all becomes very abstract you know and then you know sometimes you wake up and say well I didn't want to do economics for this because all you're doing is looking at formulas and equations what does this have to do with the real world you know this is like you know just solving fancy math problems you know this I don't like this but then I realized later why it's useful it's because it's a way to communicate, but, you know, it's um, important to have that tool, but 
but not become beholden to that tool, remembering that it is still something you use, but there is something greater than that you need, um, you want to achieve. So uh, there's a joke. I mean, I, I, I forget who said it first, but, you know, I think uh, a famous economist said it, that when we look at our models, which can get very complicated, they say that sometimes we mistake beauty for truth. Because we look at these models with their nice math and lovely equations and things solved very elegant, you know, and then we think, okay, this is a great characterization of the real world. In fact, it may not be. And so, you know, just because it's beautiful doesn't mm. mean it's a good characterization of the world, even though you may have worked hard at it. And it's important to keep that. So that's one thing. Uh, and the other, of course, thing. Uh, speaking of economists, uh, there's a joke among economists that. When economists say something happening in practice, they argue with you why it could not possibly happen in theory. So, you know, so it's a reality check. You have to remember that those tools, the models, the math is very important, but that's not all. But to answer your question, I think the biggest thing that I, I found useful as an economist now, and I think it's true for most professions, is um, a problem solving attitude and and the ability to problem solve which is regardless of you know a um, whole set of circumstances that you get or or a puzzle that you need to solve you are able to extract what is important and separate that from what is noise and find a solution and i think that's true there's certainly true in medicine right somebody comes with a whole lot of symptoms and a great doctor can figure out, okay, that's important, that's probably not important, and take the essence and solve it and figure out what's wrong with the patient. And similarly, problem solving in all kinds of things, that not everything that is information is insight. And so to be insightful, you need to be able to filter from and especially now with social media and everything, we are bombarded with information. Yeah, that could be false. Noise. All the time, I smoke and mirrors, yeah. and even if it is, some of it is true, it may not be relevant, uh -huh. and you may not need to chase every piece of information. But to be able to extract what is essential to improve your understanding or solve a problem, that's a real skill that I find quite useful, and I think it's useful in many, many professions. And I bet, and this is another mindset question. I've I've two for you, but I obviously know. And it's, I mean, everyone has. You've probably made mistakes before in your life and in the career. Um, the difference is like, I've I've two. So one is like, I know for some people, for example, writing when they're doing a writing competition and they write something and they feel like it's like so you know it, they poured their heart and soul into it, just as you might for something else in your career. And then when they don't get the award, they take it personally, right? How how have you learned to not take because i assume you have not take it personally anymore you know not let it affect your like your own well-being right because i know You're a lot of kids yeah yeah a lot of kids yeah, yeah. feel you like know, it's personal yeah. yeah and it's a universal problem because especially if you've been a good student as i was you get used to sort of thinking that oh this is great you know I, i've got things figured out <laughs> uh, you know things are working well and then but eventually you know in in life as you go up especially when you get to graduate school or in the job or something you realize in your own small bubble you may have been great but in a whole big world 
you may not be the best or anything you know it's a very humbling experience which yeah. i have yeah we haven't experienced yet right we have not experienced the yeah. real world and and one can and of course it can be very discouraging and one can uh, take it quite personally and but it took me a long time and i think experience is the way to think about it when you figure out um that uh if you don't stumble that means you know i mean the world would be a really boring place if if you never made a mistake that means you got to figure out then what is there to look for you know because on the other hand if you try something you really as you said pour your heart and soul into a piece of writing and and it doesn't work or something well two things one is you realize that um you took a risk you know you you sort of went out on a limb you gave it a shot you got out of your comfort zone and if you don't get out of your comfort zone you will not grow as a human being or intellectually or emotionally so i started interpreting you know and failures will happen they happen to all of us we stumble we make mistakes is the way i look at it is okay you know what i gave it a shot i learned something from this how do i pick myself up and start over and because you're not born you know as a complete whole you know perfect picture, person yeah perfect you know you learn you experience and and only if you uh struggle and overcome the struggle and achieve something that you appreciate it i think you see that a lot like uh, in some cases um look at tennis players right uh, without naming some are more natural at the game and some have perfected and trained and done everything and then they rise up and i think those who have worked hard at it but were not natural talents hard work beats talent yeah i mean it's 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 something quite uh, wonderful to behold right that one can overcome the odds or um, you know in my own case for instance i don't consider myself as a natural athlete or anything because but i used to always run short distances like 10k's and less then suddenly i decided you know what let's try to run marathons you know like you know first stepping out of your comfort half, zone outside my comfort zone but i said you know other people i knew friends who had done it how hard can it be well turns out it's really hard <laughs> <laughs> it takes months and months of preparation i was part of a running group i had a running coach that's amazing and it took four five months to train and then i finally did it it felt great i mean it's 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 a quite challenging it doesn't get easier i feel and now i run 16 of them so wow yeah. so you know it's it's something that it's the and i bet you you got better you got better over time better and and sometimes i didn't sometimes i had lousy <laughs> years i would do one or two races a year some years i didn't train properly or i was traveling too much so i didn't have the time i could put in or something happened and i did horribly you know but i didn't let that discourage me i didn't think that okay this is it and this is what it's going to be forever i picked myself up and then i said okay what mistake did i do in my training in this year either i didn't train enough or i overtrained sometimes or i ignored an injury when i shouldn't have so then when you come back from it it's really wonderful because then you've also grown as a person and 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 actually running is a good analogy because you know it sort of makes no sense right why are you doing it it's not like i'm going to be an olympic athlete <laughs> you know and pretty much everybody who finishes gets a medal in a marathon then why do you do it because 
you're really competing against yourself. You're trying to see how, because it's not natural for us to run 26 miles. You yeah. Know? The human body was not built for that. But if you can slowly do that, I think it's made me approach other things with the similar mindset, which is that, you know, if you train, if you work hard enough, if you're patient, you can actually achieve other things too. So, I like that analogy that you're like a marathon, especially, but you're always uh, pushing against yourself. You're always trying. That's your main that, obstacle. That's the only thing. And it's not a straight line up. Some, as I said, so you have dips. Yeah, you go down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so speaking of that, and like we kind of touched on that, but you seem to uh, amazingly have such a great attitude about like learning from your mistakes and letting them discourage you how did you get to this way and even if it's natural do you have any tips or tricks for like how people that obviously take it you know not as well or maybe not as productively as you do how can they improve themselves like how should they approach uh, mistakes you know instead um well you know i guess with the benefit of hindsight one can see i think <clears throat> One of the important things is um, I learned is don't be too hard on yourself. Be forgiving of yourself. You know, I think sometimes, especially when we are younger, we tend to be our own worst critics, you know, because we are so driven to succeed and do better and there's competition, there's pressure. If you are just a little bit forgiving of yourself, but that doesn't mean, of course, that you know you slack off and say everything is okay. But more than okay, you know what? I tried; it didn't work. But be patient and think I can still, you know, I can do better than this. You know, I can rise above this. Then I think you find yourself in a much happier place to both deal with setbacks, but also to actually get better. So I think one of the things is to 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 have one. One has to have a vision. You know, one has to have goals. One has, I, in my case, I think one, it's very important for me also to be a bit idealistic, that things can be better than they are. I'm always a glass half full kind of guy. But at the same time, if I don't get from A to B in a straight line, I don't beat myself up as much as I used to when I was younger. I now say, okay, you know what, that's the natural progression of things. Sometimes More you just, yeah, you forgive yourself. That because you show that you tried, you have a clear conscience, you did your best, it just didn't work. Then you regroup and then you start over again. So I think that's the part because otherwise, you know, most things in life which are worth achieving can be quite hard. And when they are hard, which means by definition, you don't always get them right away. Yeah. But that and if you did, it. then what's the point almost sometimes? What's it's the like, point? Then it's not hard. It's not, you know, then it's... You should do something, something else. Awesome. And yeah, and I think that's true. Um, as for instance, if people want to start up a business or a startup or something, I'm sure there'll be failures. And now uh, those who ultimately succeed are the ones who don't let the failures define them, I think. Yeah. Uh, at least what I read about business leaders yeah. and all. They say, okay, they, they shrug, they take it in stride. They say, okay, you know, what, what did I learn from it? And then they start something else. And eventually, maybe on the third try, on the fourth try, they finally manage to find the secret sauce, you know? Secrets, I like that. Yeah. Um, I also want to... No, this has been great so far. Really, like, it, it's also nice how all these different things you're saying kind of, like, connects together and makes a nice umbrella for, like, just, like, what you should do in life, really, and, like, how to get through life easily. 
But um, I also want to talk about, you know, some like, and I've never really asked this to someone, but I feel like I can ask it to you. Like, how, how do you learn to be patient with not just yourself, but like with others, right? Like, let's say you're trying to communicate something and they're really not getting it, or you're working with someone who you might not think is as adequate as maybe they should be. How do you be patient with them? And like, how do you, you know, instead of getting all frustrated? You know, Dylan, I think one of the things I learned along the way, maybe, and it comes with experiences, not to think that everybody is like me. I think that's an important <laughs> thing to remember because we all start thinking our often our frustration or impatience comes from the fact that we think, well, if I was there, I would have done this already. Why is this person not doing so and so on? No. Absolutely. And I know. You, you, you must realize that not everybody is, in fact, most people are not like you, and that's not a bad thing. But just that understanding that, you know, that person is different and they may have approached you differently. You don't know what goes on. It teaches you to be patient because same goes the other way around. If you, somebody wants something from you, but you're not like them, they may get impatient with you. So you would want to have the same level of understanding coming from them as well. Like so I think equal with each other. Yeah, that look, we're different. Uh, we may approach problem solving differently, or we may have different experiences. Ideals, yeah. Or, yeah, but that doesn't mean that we are ill-intentioned or that we are just doing it to annoy or irritate the other yeah. person. No. I bet, yeah, some people are feeling like, why would they do that? Like, they're hurting yeah. me on purpose. Like That's right. And no, they're not, you know. And so that brings me to the related point. A, we are, uh, you know, not everybody is, and most people are not exactly like you in different ways. And the other is the, the thing that sometimes makes, causes us a lot of stress Sometimes as we say, oh, yeah, what you literally just said, right? Like, why are you doing this to, to another? <laughs> you know, I think a humility that, you know, you are not necessarily, you know, the most important thing in someone else's day. <laughs> Which is hard to believe when you're yourself, you're yourself. And yeah. you're like, I'm so important. <laughs> because that's your ego talking, right? Because you think, oh, you know, and, and I, I found that, I mean, because, you know, you often deal with situations and where, including, for instance, think about competitive sports, right? If you think, sometimes conflict happens, right? And you think, like, oh, my God, why that person deliberately tripped me up while we were playing soccer and all. And then you realize they're not even thinking about it. It didn't even occur to them. You're not like sort of. You know, they're not obsessing about you as much as you're yeah. obsessing about them obsessing about you. <laughs> yeah, you I know? get it. Yeah, I get it. So, so once you sort of, you know, keep your ego a little bit in check and you realize that people are not thinking about you 24 hours a day, <laughs> you know, you, you suddenly develop a much better understanding and get less frustrated. And that, that's with everything. Things. I feel like even if you do something embarrassing that person who did it would be like oh my god everyone's thinking about me everyone yeah. when they're really when no everyone's like huh like I'm, i forgot yeah exactly people will just shrug and move on while you're still thinking about end, everyone's, thinking about, like, everyone's thinking about themselves everyone's thinking about themselves no one's thinking yeah, like, about anyone else like oh my god they saw me with a piece of spinach on my teeth like they've forgotten about it you're still thinking <laughs> about it like yeah i was having that meal and there was spinach on my teeth <laughs> no i <laughs> no. i get it you gotta you, you gotta move past it, yourself it, it, in some senses, you know, those little things, you're just not that important to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Whether you have spinach on your teeth, I mean. 
yeah. But um, yeah. Anyways, Sabir, this has been great. I have one more question for you before we end sure. the the show today. So, and I like I asked. I've been asking this to everyone recently, and this is more of a big, another life big question. Yeah. Let's say you're in a room with people like my age, you know, and they go up to you and they're all like, Sabir. You know, we don't really know what we want to do when we're older. We're scared. You know, it's life. Like, I, we feel like we should know, but we don't. We're scared, et cetera, et cetera. How would you comfort them? What would you tell them to make them? Oh, know? gosh. How much time do we have? Because, ah. you know, that's a great question. I would say, well, first of all, you're fortunate to be born in a very, very exciting time in human history. I mean, think of all the technological oh advantages, God. all the things. AI is going to replace me. That's your fear talking, but let's think on the positive side. Think about the healthcare, how no, yeah. many diseases have been conquered. Think we have air conditioning now. We don't have to work in the heat uh, outside when it gets hot or in the snow when it gets cold. We have shelter, we have transportation. We can communicate with people across the globe. You know, So think it's a very exciting time to be you. To be in your age, you have the whole world ahead of you. Now, of course, it's a bit uh, distressing to think, oh my God, I don't know what the world will look like. So, how should I position myself? Uh, myself. Um, so, the other part is to think, you know, yes, technological change is happening, things are changing. You, you know, it's hard to predict which professions will be, you know, the winners and which professions are the losers. But I think it's safe to say that there are some things that essentially make us human that machines will not be able to substitute for, you know, uh, uh, you know, character traits like uh, what I mentioned, connectedness, empathy, judgment, you know, being able to read and understand other people being, and being able to connect with people. So those and the only thing we do know is, though, as I say, the only... Um, certain thing is uncertainty so to go forward what i think is a good idea is not to have a very specific goal in mind saying this is it i'm going to do exactly this and i'm going to end up here because you know um, especially because of technological change and all you don't necessarily know exactly how things will shape out but focus more on knowing how that you are going to be resilient, you know, that you can handle change and, and, and work on those aspects of yourself that make you actually embrace change and feel comfortable with it rather than fearful of it. Hiding and, and closing off the world and thinking, uh, you know what, if I just isolate myself, I'll be fine is probably not the way to go. It's more like, you know what, Let me, I can embrace it, I can handle it, I can in fact make it an opportunity and then focus on those skills so i think again the human skills are going to be important communicating with people connecting with people having high emotional intelligence and developing that that can be developed of course uh, interacting with people because those skills machines cannot take away or substitute for what happens but instead, as a, as a human, we can use those as tools, the machines and AI, whatever comes up. In my view, my view would be to say to, for the betterment of humanity, because I'm an idealistic sort of person. I'm not like into it to make money, but to think about, okay, how can I make this work to make things better? 
But to be able to do that, you need to be able to embrace change without being fearful of it, because we know things are great, but of course we know that things are changing very rapidly. I mean, even I, I mean, we, you know, it's funny to think the the, the iPhone was introduced uh, only about 16 years ago. You know, it was not Crazy. that long. Yeah, and it's fundamentally changed. We have a supercomputer in our hands now, uh, which is much more powerful than anything that was there when the first astronauts went to the moon, for example. So things will change for sure, but what essentially makes us human doesn't change. But it is important to develop those skills and to see that those cannot be substituted. And certainly the future is not something to be afraid of, but to be embraced. That's, as I said, how That's much great. do we have? I could go on talking about all these <laughs> things, but I really solidly believe that Ultimately, that's uh, what will, you know, sort of create the march of human progress and civilization is that attitude that, okay, change comes, we'll embrace it, but we'll make it work for good. And that it will not knock me down or kick me off my path, you know, that I'm resilient enough to be able to handle it, but not have like such a fixed trajectory because if you if you think you have your whole life mapped out in front of you now, anything single thing outside of your control that knocks you off would make you have will mess you up. Oh yeah, because you'd have to start over again. It was easier, say, I would say, a hundred years ago. You know, when industries didn't change that much technology. So you say, if I want to be a chemical engineer, okay, great, because we know how it works. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Yeah, and then you work thirty years in one company, you do that stuff, and that's it. Or I want to be, you know, uh, you know, yeah, exactly. I want to be, you know, uh, uh, any profession because things didn't change. Now things are changing so fast. Yeah. I think adaptability and resilience. The but it's fun. It's fun, right? It's it's an opportunity nobody ever had in human history. Think of it that way. I mean, it's a gift. We're lucky. It's awesome. <laughs> lucky but, uh, you guys. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Sabir, so much again, though, for being on the podcast. It really means a lot. If I've, um, you know, if anyone wants to uh, reach out to you, where can they reach you? Well, you you know how to reach me, so no. may I suggest that they get in touch with you? And Absolutely. Then you can pass it on to me, and then we'll take it from there. No, I love How's to. That? Yep. Yeah. Thank you, Sabir, okay. again for your your insight. You. you know, your advice and career path. This is amazing. This has been great. It's, it's been Thanks a great so pleasure. And uh, yeah. Care.